welcome to the Mintcast, the official podcast of Mint Press News. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Today I am joined by investigative journalist, author, and poet, Douglas Valentine, whose work is legendary for those that have ever looked deep into the dark world of covert intelligence operations. One of Valentine's best-known works in that field is one of his earliest, titled The Phoenix Program, an in-depth investigation into the true and terrifying scope of the CIA's assassination campaign during the Vietnam War that used paramilitaries to terrorize, terrorize, torture, and murder an estimated 30,000 Vietnamese civilians, some say even more. Since then, Valentine has written several other books that dig into other aspects of the CIA, as well as other federal agencies like the Drug Enforcement Agency, and has contributed to several independent media outlets like Counterpunch and Consortium News over the years, touching on everything from the war on drugs to the suspect side of some celebrated whistleblowers and the celebrity journalists who cover them. Welcome to the Mintcast, Doug. Glad to be here. Well, it is a, it is so great for me to have you on the podcast. I am personally a big fan of your work, and I think one big testament to how powerful and hard-hitting your journalistic work has been is that the CIA actually spied on you for a period of time because of how fearless you were in exposing some of their most nefarious programs. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about what it was like to be spied on by the CIA and how you kept up your amazing reporting when other reporters would have likely been intimidated from doing so? Well, you don't get into investigating the CIA if you're going to be bothered by the fact that they're going to spy on you. You know, so, I mean, I'm not, I, it didn't bother me because it comes with the turf. All right, and and if you're gonna, can I use profanity? Um, <laughs> um I well, believe right, so. We a, can always edit it out. Or there's it an out. old expression: <laughs> if you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Okay, you know, but it's it's a more explicit statement. So the CIA is the bull, you know. I mean, and if you're gonna go whack a hornet's nest like the CIA, in the real world, they're gonna respond. And they're going to respond in a way to show you that they're the boss and and that you're, like me, basically just a mosquito. Uh, you know, they're going to swat you away. So if you're going to go mess with the CIA in the kind of way that I did, which was to hustle them, which was to present myself as somebody who was sympathetic to their heroic efforts on behalf of democracy, but really secretly... I was going to expose them as being war criminals who were, you know, serving an elite whose object was to rule our society through undemocratic means. They they were particularly angry at me because I had gained their trust, you know, the way any hustler gains the trust of somebody they're they're conning, and and they are because they were the masters of the con. Their pride was hurt. You know, I mean, here was somebody from nowhere who had gained the trust of William Colby and then Colby, who had been a former director of central intelligence, had told everybody that it was okay to talk to me. So like hundreds of CIA officers betrayed their oath of secrecy and told me all their deepest, darkest secrets. It was inevitable. Uh, You know, I thought that the Phoenix program book would be the last book I ever wrote. And I knew that that they would arrange to um, uh, discredit me and discredit the book. So I did not go in with blinders. And when it happened, 
I wasn't surprised. You know, I mean, it, I was fully expecting that all that stuff to happen. And quite frankly, at the time, that book came out in 1990, the Phoenix Program book. Colby arranged with the New to have Morley Safer give the book a bad review. And I knew something like that was going to happen, you know, because that's what, in the United States, political dissidents are not generally punished with assassination. They simply deprive you of livelihood. They relegate you to the, the scrap heap of indigence, of, of marginalized. They, they deny you uh, uh, being successful in your chosen trade. And, and these, you know, they rob you of your accomplishments. So, so it's a much more subtle way of, of suppressing uh, critical information than, than, you know, like the, the typical totalitarian state which takes a guy like Joe Brodsky and puts him out in Siberia for five years and tells him to behave, uh, you know, if you speak against the state. Brodsky was a Russian poet who, who got put into the gulag for speaking out against the, you know, the Soviets. Here it's different. And, and not being a naive person, I, I was fully expecting it to happen. And, and the only reason I ever wrote a, a book after the Phoenix program is because I went to work on a, a, a friend's uh, uh, farm, and 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 some guy mentioned a, said something like, "So I guess I guess you can only write two books or something like that," and it pissed me off. And I said, "Well, okay, you know, if that's the way you think it is, then I'll go write another one." Actually, that's not true. I I wasn't dissuaded. When I was doing the Phoenix program book, uh, I kept hearing about how the, the CIA was involved in drug trafficking in Southeast Asia. And I was determined to do that, and I had already gained a lot of resources and sources by doing the Phoenix program book, so I was undeterred. You have to have that willpower if you're going to get involved. You have to, have, you have to go into it with your eyes wide open if you're going to fight the CIA and the powers that be in the United States, you have to know that you're going to get relegated to the sidelines, that you're going to have to, um, you know, really, really struggle and do it on your own, that you're not going to have the support of the, the Columbia Journalism Review or the New York Times and that Pen America and the Authors Guild are not going to stand up for you and defend your rights as an author. You know, I mean, if you go against the CIA, it means that, that you got to do everything on your own. And I was prepared to do that. And, and I have to say the reason I was prepared to do that was because my wife supports me, Alice. And um, when we got married, her parents had met in the Communist Party in the 1930s in New York City. And she was raised to know that things are not the way they look. And when we got married, she, she said that she would um, she wanted to get a good job. She wanted to get an MBA. And, and she was quite, you know, the deal was, was that I would write books that were socially, um, would bring about social, positive social change, and she would support me. So, so I had an advantage that a lot of people in, in my business don't have. I, I had a, a wife who understood what I was doing and supported what I was doing and knew from the very beginning 
that I was going to be sidelined and that I was going to be spied on. Uh, you know, I mean, we would get calls at midnight. Alice would pick up the phone. Somebody would say, I'm going to burn your house down. And Alice would say, take a number and get in line. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm going to kill you. You know, well, you know, you can only kill them once. Why don't all you guys get together, you know, and form a committee and just do it, you know, and start waking us up at midnight. So we were not intimidated. And, 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 and we knew that kind of stuff wasn't really going to happen, that, that the government would try to intimidate you. It's certainly not the, the conditions then were not the conditions now where Congress and Trump and uh, candidates from the Democratic Party for president are getting together to, to make um, criticism against Israel illegal. You know, it's still, when I was doing my work, it still was not illegal, so they had to resort to other, um, you know, other means to dissuade people from, from investigating them, okay? Uh, we're on the verge of, of, of criticize. you know, first it's going to be illegal to criticize Israel, then it's going to become illegal to criticize Congress, then it's going to become illegal to criticize the CIA, and that's when things will really get serious. But, but you know, that pretty much sums up what my attitude was. I had the support of my wife. She wasn't going to back down. She's a tough kid from Queens. You know, you can't frighten her. You know, there's nothing you can say that's going to, you know, frighten her. You know, it's... It, it, you have to do things in the real world to, to actually uh, make an impact on us. And those things didn't count because um, I was surviving and, and, and I didn't have to worry about where my money was coming from. Okay. Does that sort of answer it? <laughs> yeah. No, that was a great answer. And I'm really glad that you brought up, um, you know, um, what's going on with criticism of Israel Israel right now, because there was that recent um, House bill, you know, condemning uh, BDS. And I think what you the point you raised, um, how this is a gateway to make it illegal, not only to boycott, um, not just Israel, but other things in the future. And then going forward, it will shift from Israel to other things. This is sort of a gateway for um, a type of censorship that has not really been seen in the U.S. before. So thank you for bringing that up. Let me interrupt you and say that, you know, I mean, I know what you want to talk about, but this kind of incremental change is what defines CIA's power within the United States. There is not a coup to talk that occurs. This kind of secret assault on our rights, First Amendment rights, has been the object of the powers that be in the United States since after World War II when the CIA is created. And these, this, this, chain, this restriction of our civil rights, the plan has been to do it incrementally. You don't need a, a military coup in the United States. What happens is that you create boogeyman threats. Okay, first it was communism. Now it's, now it's um, uh, Islamophobia the idea or or immigrants and you keep presenting the the american public with these boogeyman threats and in, and, and and over 50 60 70 80 years the people become conditioned to thinking that they're 
their democracy and their freedoms are are threatened. And so in order to preserve those things, they incrementally give up their rights. And that has been the plan for the last 70 years. And that is what we see unfolding, especially since 9-11 and the Patriot Act. And, and when, when uh, um, the sorts of things that the CIA did overseas are now being done here in the United States. That's when the Phoenix program, which was something that the CIA did overseas, when the same methods and, and um, uh, of oppressing people overseas through the Phoenix program were bought, brought back home to the United States. You know, and that was the true legacy of 9-11, is that Americans gave up more of their civil liberties in order to protect them from something that was a flash in the pan, a one-time thing, and not of any real, uh, not a real threat to their, their um, uh, their well-being, just like the kind of threat that you receive at midnight when somebody threatens to burn down your house. If you react to a threat like that, and you think that it's actually real, or that it's, somebody's actually going to come and burn down your house, then you give up your right to free speech. Well, we're constantly presented with that in a, in a sort of a metaphorical, nationalistic way. And until Americans can all you know, get together and realize that it's a trick that they're being manipulated, that it's all this kind of call at midnight threatening them, and it doesn't really exist. Nobody here is going to be free, and we're just slowly going to give up all of our rights, and we all have to just wake up, be unafraid, and stand up for our rights, just like Alice and I did, okay? you got to have that. You gotta have that awareness and that and that willingness to fight for your freedom. The what you really are your freedoms. That is a great point. Thank you. So uh, yeah, it sounds like a pep talk. Yeah, no, but it, it's it's really important because a lot of people, um, you know, do get intimidated or they think, you know, even now in alt media. You know, there's concerns, um, you know, if you talk about the wrong thing, especially in relation to Israel, which is, you know, this this gateway topic um, in terms of, of, of censorship, that you'll get labeled anti-Semitic, that your career will be ruined. So we're seeing a lot of people, even in alternative media, um, sort of taking uh, a position of whether they're, they're going to uh, stay away from that topic to preserve their career or whether they're going to continue um, reporting as they were before um, and not be intimidated by those types of threats. And of course, as, as you have been saying, you know, this will expand from Israel and eventually lead to um, prohibitions on criticisms of many other things, including Trump, the U.S. government, um, and of course the CIA. So um, that brings me to uh, my next question which is about one theme that comes up in your work um, on the CIA, which is the fact that the CIA um, ha has had over its, you know, decades long existence, um, has enjoyed near complete impunity um, and how any sort of effort, whether by Congress or another body, um, you know, um, has tried to make the CIA um, accountable for covert operations that have come to the surface. Um, the CIA will either blame that on a, allegedly rogue agent or um, they will just end up moving uh, those same controversial programs they'll either outsource it to the governments of a u.s client state or to the private sector so from your research what are some of the most egregious examples of that 
and what are some of the most important consequences of the CIA's culture of impunity that all Americans should be aware of? Well, first of all, you have to understand, and, and this is central to the, the idea of CIA impunity, is that everything the CIA does is illegal, but everything that it does that's illegal, it does overseas. Okay, so the United States can say, this protecting our, our national security. Okay, so we give it a waiver to do illegal things overseas. Now, if you do, if the CIA does something illegal in, in England and it gets caught, then it's up to the English to decide to prosecute whoever the CIA person was. He is not, he or she is not breaking American laws. You're English laws, okay? And if you get caught in, in Cambodia, trying to overthrow the Cambodian government in 1958, well, it's up to the Cambodians to prosecute you. Or if you get caught parachuting into China to um, uh, organize resistant movements or, or to spread you know, disinformation, and you get caught, it's up to the Chinese to prosecute you. And at that point, the United States government, knowing that the CIA is doing these illegal things on behalf of the, the poor, innocent American people who need protection from these countries overseas, will galvanize all its forces in order to get these guys or gals out of prison. And, and they'll pay a million dollar ransom to get a CIA officer out of prison overseas in some country where they're doing something illegal. And or they will trade a Chinese spy who's been caught in the United States doing naughty things that violate American law. You know, because everything that the, the CIA does overseas, if they were to do it here in the United States, the FBI would be on them in a second. And every country in the world has an, an organization that's which is looking for CIA officers and trying to nab them at what they're doing and pretend, you know, prevent them from doing it. So the, the thing that's essential to CIA impunity is that it's doing all its illegal actions overseas and it's not violating American laws because of the National Security Act of 1947 gives them, actually gives them orders. They've actually been ordered by the government, commanded, they have a they have a what's called a mandate to, to do these things. So they're actually by committing crimes overseas only following the orders of their superiors in the the office of the president and Congress lets them get away with it. So they only have impunity from the laws of the United States when they conduct domestic operations here in the United States and get caught doing them here. Okay, things like. Um, creating proprietary companies, which is something that the CIA does all the time in the United States. They want to send an agent overseas, okay? So there's nowhere, there's in the country they want to send a CIA officer to, there's no way for them to infiltrate um, that government or that, or, or um, the corporation country. So they create what's called, a, what used to be called a Delaware Corporation. They create a, a magazine 
here in the United States, and the CIA incorporates it. And then they assign CIA officers to it, and along with journalists like, let's say, Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill, who are legitimate journalists, but they'll also infiltrate into this, let's just call it the intercept for, for you know, purposes of, of, of illustration and demonstration. They'll create a, you know, what's called a proprietary company, which will, for all intents and purposes, look like an actual journalist magazine, and it is, but it's created by the CIA. And so every once in a while, when they wanted to get go into Brazil and do a story, they dispatch a, a guy and he has credentials, and he's credentialed by the Associated Press or, or whatever, and he can go into that country and report and 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 for all you know i mean this, he, he appears to be a regular journalist or or they create a um a freight forwarding company which moves um you know fills up box cars and puts them on ships and then it, it hires ships to take this equipment to let's say cambodia and let's say that it's a bunch of guns you know, and they unload in, in Cambodia, and they go to Cambodian rebels, and now you have a revolution in Cambodia. And if somebody says, "Well, that ship, that ship did it," well, if you trace it back, it turns out that that ship is owned by some Greek tycoon, or some, you know, it, it, it has a cover that's completely deniable. The CIA only creates these proprietary companies here in the United States if they're absolutely and totally deniable. It doesn't do any kind of covert operation unless it can result in some kind of intelligence for the CIA, or, which includes overthrowing foreign governments, that's considered intelligence. Or, and, and if it's, and if it's, if it's um, uh, completely and totally deniable. So, so when it creates these, these phony corporations and proprietary companies here in the United States, that is in a sense a violation of American laws. But they get a pass for doing it because it's 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 in our national security to do these things. In fact, a lot of these companies which exist in the United States um, um, employ seen as the CIA has been in existence for 70 years now there's thousands of these place places some of them some of them are like four dealerships some of them are like nightclubs playboy clubs all sorts of places that that can that have a lot of you know um Exxon you know I mean the biggest corporations of course are, are, are like uh, nests for CIA officers operating around the, the world undercover. So there's just literally tens of thousands of these places, and they're all spread across the United States. And this is the important thing. A lot of them are run by retired CIA officers. There's this whole absolute parallel society in the United States. After 70 years of the CIA being, existed, being in existence, that wields incredible amount of domestic power because all of these people are virtually Nazis. They're right-wing fascists, and they're dedicated to doing nothing but violating the, the laws of foreign countries on behalf of the rich political elite here in the United States. And every one of these, these people, and, and it's, there's virtually hundreds of thousands of them. I mean, it's, the, the Washington Post did an article 
couple of years ago, and it said there were like 700,000 of them. They actually counted them up. Well, it's, you know, it's in the, it's probably in the millions of now. These people form an entire secret society in the United States, and they're all, they're all protected people. If they get in trouble, the FBI is not going to say, oh, well, you're, you're running a parallel society here in the United States and you got to go because, because the, the ideologically the, the FBI is in, is in sync with these people. They support everything they're doing. I mean, it's all part of the, this national security apparatus that now secretly rules the United States and enables everything that's horrible that's happening to happen. Uh, there was a, a French philosopher named Guy Debord who summed it up in 1968. Yeah. All this stuff has been obvious for a long time, but he said, secrecy dominates this world foremost as the secret of domination. We do not know how we're being dominated. That's the, that's the trick that's happening, okay? And it's been happening in Italy for 70 years. And unless you're willing to devote a couple of hours every day to unraveling this mystery, all you see is the illusion. Like, like I can give you another example, the Mueller investigation, okay, which, which has dominated the American consciousness for the last two or so years, okay? Everybody's wondering about, you know, is, is Mueller going to turn left? Is Mueller going to look to the right? Is he going to come in with polished shoes? You know, what kind of suit is he going to wear? You know, I mean, it's just, it's, a, you know, an obsession. And yet, throughout the entire discourse, the letters CIA have never been mentioned. Nobody ever talks about, well, what is the CIA role in, in the Mueller investigation? And, and this is a, a perfect example of how the CIA uses the information that we get to distract us from the central issues of our time and, and to keep us, it's like, again, it's, they're the chief of the con. They're, they're, they're the greatest con men that ever lived. You know, they're playing a, a game of three card Monty with us 24 seven, you know, I mean, they're like a guy on the street and he's got three shells, you know, and American, all of America is coming by and going, which is, where's the secret hidden? Is it not under the first shell or the second shell or the third shell? Or we're all just obsessed with trying to find this. And, and meanwhile, the secret is that it's the game itself. You know, well, it's the con game itself is it, it, the secret that, that we're all being conned by these people. And, and, and you know, unless you're, unless you're another con man or con woman, it's not obvious to you, you know, so in a sense, you got to get hit, you know, you got to start conning them back, you know, you got to adjust to the fact that we're being conned 24-7 and understand how the con game is played. It's that simple. And, and, and yet, of course, uh, obviously, they're, they're dicking around with our, our freedom, so it's a lot more serious. But, but I hope that sort of answers about um, impunity, okay? Uh, the laws that the CIA is, is breaking are largely overseas, and when they break laws here, it's incidental to what's happening and, and considered part of uh, the, the business of the national security state, and they get a pass. It is worth pointing out, right, that one of uh, some of the most ardent promoters of Russiagate from the very beginning were uh, included ex-CIA director John Brennan 
and <laughs> former director of national intelligence James Clapper, who of course had previously um, been accused of perjury, I believe in two instances. And then uh, these are the talking heads brought out on cable television in the U.S. to promote this Russiagate theory, and uh, no one questions that. If, if these former top intelligence officials are telling the truth or if they're conning us. It's very telling. Um, so anyway, with that being said, um, I'd like to move the discussion uh, to another aspect of your work on the CIA that was actually very influential in, in my recent reporting on the Jeffrey Epstein case, which is the relationship between the CIA and organized crime. And it was actually uh, your book about that that really inspired the bulk of my Epstein reporting. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, so uh, go going on with the question, uh, you have called the CIA uh, the organized crime branch of the U.S. government. So if you could briefly explain what you mean by that and, and explain how the CIA has been influenced by its actual relationship with elements of the American mafia. Well, it, it certainly isn't casual relationship. It's an intimate relationship. And, and um, this guy that I quoted a few minutes ago, this Frenchman Guy Debord, also said in 1968, the mafia is not an outsider in society. In fact, the entire economic system is based on the mafia model. Okay? <laughs> and again, it's an illusion. It's, it's something that our view, our entire view of the, the world that we live in is illusory. Okay, we have this view that somehow the mafia is an outsider and that if the CIA is involved with the mafia, this is somehow an odd thing. Or if corporations, which, and if you examine the organizational chart of any major corporation, you will see that it is inherently totalitarian in nature. There is a group at the top that makes let's say $30 million each a year in an annual salary. And, and that as you go down the organizational chart, people make less and less money until you get down to the very bottom where people are, are, are uh, scrounging for a minimum wage. Okay. Something like, let's say Starbucks is, is the epitome of a mafia organization in the United States. Okay. But people, People say, no, they serve nice coffee. You know, I mean, it may be a little strong for me, but but it's great coffee, you know, and and and, and you can get a, you know, you can get it iced too, you know, and, and having a nice coffee in the morning in the summer is, is like heaven. So so how could they be mafia people? Um, but they are. And and all the corporations in the United States and every company, the whole business model is based on the totalitarian paradigm where there is a uh, uh, where if you do not follow the corporation's uh, code of omaretta of silence where if you do not toe the line if when you greet the people at the starbucks counter you do not say are you having a nice day well i sure hope so you know and then you, you can turn around behind your back and say asshole you know but you know, whatever you want, but you have to present a picture of like really liking this. And, and you have to submit to the com company's indoctrination. And this is the key point if you want to rise up the ladder. 
all right? You cannot be a Ford salesman unless you tell people that Fords are better than Chevys. You can't, when people walk into the Ford dealership, you can't say, you know, you should really go down the street and buy a Chevy, man, because it's, you know, it's a lot better. If you work for Coke, you know, you can't say, you, you know, Pepsi's better. You have to follow. So you get the point. The whole idea is that in the United States, there's this, we've all been conditioned, if we want to make a living, to abide by what our superiors in the corporate totalitarian paradigm tell us. This is our, the way we look at the world. This is how we know the world. This is how the world operates, and we certainly and we understand that. Okay, now what if I was to tell you that most of the automobile franchises in this country were funded by mafia money that had been originally gained by people operating in the vices that we so much need, but which that we we don't talk about because they're vices and they're immoral, and the guys at the fire department really don't want their wives and kids to, to let to know that on fr every Friday night they watch porn movies that are supplied to them by the local mafiosa guy, or that every once in a while they go off and they hire a prostitute, but they don't want their wives to know about it, so they keep it quiet. These, this whole idea that there's vices that we have to secretly engage in, whether it, and it used to be gambling before, the, before gambling was legalized, prostitution is another one, drugs is another one. You know, there was a whole underworld that that provided our the needs for our vices, which at some point in the in the Protestant history of the United States were made illegal, the way it's now going to be considered immoral to criticize Israel. You know, the, the list is growing, all right, as as you as you say it, once you say that marijuana is illegal, well, now, in order to keep law enforcement in business, you got to have something else that's illegal. So, you know, as the, the whole law enforcement industry is part of this corporate paradigm, totalitarian state that everybody is used to and everybody understands how it operates. Well, it's not, the same, it's not just that in the United States. Uh, I hope that this far-ranging description is getting across because it, it, it's because, fine uh i you know you have so much information that you have i you know written in books so i'm well, sure I'll you just, have infinitely more fun. in your brain <laughs> okay so so when you want to overthrow a foreign government okay like the cia wants to do where do you look in a foreign country for allies well you look to the, that country's underworld all right, every just like in the United States, every country has an underworld. It has an underground where, because you can't make enough money in the regular economy, you have to try to you, you work a second job. So maybe you run numbers, or maybe you deal in in stolen goods, or maybe you sell you 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 smuggle cigarettes into the country and you sell them on the black market. That is where primarily the CIA operates in every country that it wants to penetrate. Just like law enforcement in the United States works with the underworld in the United States. When the FBI wants to infiltrate a bank robbery wet ring, it creates undercover agents who go into the, the uh, uh, bank robbery underworld. 
when you want to when you want to uh, 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 find out about sex trafficking rings, you have to put somebody. You have to get somebody into those rings. They exist. They're there. They're part of the underworld. And the only way that you can enforce the laws against them, just like the only way you can get make cases on drug traffickers, is to have informants in the drug trafficking world who you give free passage to to drill deal drugs so that you can then find out what they're doing and map out their organizations the cia forms those kinds of relationships with people in the underworlds overseas with drug traffickers with people in the sex traffic with people who are smuggling all sorts of things into those countries people who are breaking the law in those countries and who are vulnerable because they are doing that can be blackmailed into the service of the cia so this is why the CIA gets is inherently involved with the underworld all over the world. And, and international criminal organizations are where the CIA thrives, just for these reasons that I'm telling you. They are, are able to get into the police files into foreign countries. The police want to know, was Boris Johnson ever arrested for dealing in pornography? Okay? Now, the British police... They have some, some, some records about that. Well, Trump and the, and the CIA and, and the people here want to put some pressure on Boris Johnson. Uh, and, and so what do they do? They have to find, if they were to find out that he did anything illegal, they can try to get into the police files in England. Or through their criminal underworld associates, they can go right to the source. And, and those criminal under associates in England will say, who have been working with the CIA for generations will say, well, yeah, we used to sell pot to, to Boris Johnson. Sure, yeah, he was one of our, our, our biggest, you know, buyers, you know, or yeah, yeah, he really liked, uh, you know, uh, pornography, you know, and we have the, you know, we can tell you all about it. So in terms of blackmailing politicians around the world, to get them to do things that you want to, to support America, make sure that American corporations get contracts in those countries the cia goes to its contacts in the underworld and it says what do you got on this guy you know and if for some reason they don't have something on them well then they got to try to spy on the security services and the police departments in those countries in order to get that information and they do that by saying to a policeman in england well our associates in the criminal underworld say you like pornography or you like to dabble in drugs and so on. Or maybe you fudge some reports and they get something on, and, and then all of a sudden now the CIA is hiring informants in the police services in foreign countries. You know, they offer them money. And they get the files on the politicians and the businessmen that they want to blackmail through those, those avenues. And that's, that is how it works. And, and, and it's the same thing here in the United States. Only it's not the, necessarily the CIA that's doing it. You know, everybody thinks, for example, somebody has something on Trump. How could some, you know, the question is, how could somebody not have something on Trump? <laughs> you know, it's not, what do they have on Trump? I mean, this is a guy who's been freewheeling for 40 years. So how could somebody not have something on him? You know, but the thing is, again, secrecy dominates this world. Foremost is the secret of dominance. And so the people who have something on Trump, 
whether it's the CIA or the FBI or the Israelis or the Russians, are not going to make that information public. They are simply going to leverage it to make sure that Trump is doing the things that they want him to do. And you can sort of backtrack it. When you see Trump doing things that seem to be wild and crazy, you have to ask yourself, well, who benefits from this? And then you can pretty much figure out who has something on him. Okay, and, 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 and all the time understanding that all of your questions about the CIA are never going to be answered because it's a secret organization. You have to sort of use your head and figure it out yourself that all these things are going on. This is how society is structured. And then if you have enough time, figure it out for yourself what's going on. But all the time being aware that we're existing in a world of illusions, you know, um, just like in uh, in um, um, Alice in Wonderland or, or, or the one about um, the girl that leaves Kansas and, 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 you know, in the tornado and all that stuff. I can't remember. The, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, the Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean, it's, it's just like that. Those, these are metaphorical for the world that we live in. Okay, and if you want to live... If you think you're living in the real world and that what you see and what you what you hear every day is the real world, then you're you're deluding yourself. And and it's up to every individual to break out of that rut and to to not think that they know exactly what's going on, but just to know that they do not know what's going on and then try to deduce from that what is actually happening. Okay. And in the meantime, to do practical real things, like to work for freedom of speech, to work for a livable um, minimum wage, to work for uh, health care for everybody, for real improvements in your life, to work for human rights, for not to consider that brown-skinned people or people from Mexico or China are any different than us, but to understand that everybody around the world is in fact a human being just like us, not to consider ourselves special or better than anybody else, but to work and help everybody in the world, which are the things that they do not want you to do. The people in power do not want you to do that. They want you to think that we're Pepsi and they're Coke, or that we're the Ford dealership and they're the Chevy dealership and that you have to be loyal, and if you want to work your way up into some sort of successful moral life, you have to follow those rules. I, I know I've got far afield and, 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 and talked at length about a lot of disparate things, but they, it all fits together in this, this uniform universe, you know, this unified universe of corruption and manipulation that we find ourselves in, and, and which is spellbinding and, and, and a spectacle that seems beyond our control, which it is. Okay, well, that actually brings me to uh, my last question, which is about you know narrative control, um, because of course that is critical to to maintaining these sort of illusions that you just um, you know touched on. So as I'm sure that you are aware, there is often a lack of, of coverage from mainstream media about these aspects of the US government and the CIA that we have been discussing, but also, um, as was mentioned a little earlier on uh, in our conversation today, um, there are also many big names in independent or alternative media um, who, who also either undercover or don't cover or completely dismiss 
uh, covert actions that are conducted by the CIA. And this really came on my radar personally um, with the Syria conflict when we saw big names, you know, as an example, uh, Noam Chomsky and Democracy Now!, you know, as some examples, really promote um, the same narrative that was promoted by the government and the mainstream media, despite the admitted involvement of the CIA in initiating uh, that still ongoing war in operations that have been declassified, like Timber Sycamore, among others. So with that being said, I'd like to ask you, if you think there has been a concerted effort to undermine alternative and independent media in recent years, not only through the censorship of alternative media with the CIA's partners and big tech, but also through efforts to compromise big names on the alt media scene. Well, I could talk about this forever, but I'll, so I'll try to sum it up. But um, in the 1950s, the CIA had what was called an international operations division okay and it was part of their directorate of operations which is the people who are spy masters and and work overseas and and overthrow foreign governments and after world war ii the big the cia's whole mandate was to destroy communism to fight communism okay so one of the wizards at the CIA came up with this plan, an overall plan, and it was called, his name was Cordmeyer. He'd been a World War II veteran, and he, was associ- he had actually been associated with the Communist Party himself, but, uh, and, and a lot of left-wing uh, institutions, okay? He was, he was targeted by Joseph McCarthy, I don't know if all you people who are under 30 know who Joseph McCarthy was, but he was a a, a guy in Congress in the in the 1950s who was accusing everybody of, of being a communist. And and this guy Cord Meyer was in the CIA was actually one of the people that he went after. But Cord Meyer came up with a plan for the CIA, which was called courting the compatible left. All right, how's these sort of this sort of sexual overtone to it, which is a good way to understand the typical freewheeling, good-looking snake oil salesman CIA officer. He's like trying to always seduce a woman, okay? Or if you want to flip it, like Matahari always trying to seduce some, some German officer to get the secrets, the battle plans, okay? So the CIA decides that what it has to do is it has to court the compatible left. They, they're not really concerned with trying to change the viewpoints of a hardcore communist cadre. What they want to do is they want to move people in France, where the communist under, underground had actually defeated the Germans in World War II. You know, the, uh, de Gaulle and all those people fled France the communists stayed behind and fought. They created the underground. And when the world was over, when the war was over, they created the first government in France. And this was horrible. This was horrific to the CIA. The same thing happened in Italy. The only people who fought the Nazis were the communists. And after World War II, all these communists were taking over governments across Europe. And so how do you go about moving them away from communism? And the whole idea was to court the compatible left to find members of the Communist Party in those countries 
who you could bribe and cajole and, and influence to move and to form what were called socialist democratic governments, which were not connected to the Soviets anymore. Okay, And so gradually across Europe and then around the world, they spread this myth of courting the compatible left. Well, believe me when I tell you they do the same thing here in the United States, okay? And, and, they, and, and because communists in the United States were connected to communists in the Soviet Union and in Russia and in China and um, every other country, they had connections. So during, right after World War II, the CIA started hiring labor leaders like Irving Brown and Joseph Lovestone to go overseas and help to create organizations, labor or organizations, which would wean communists away from the Soviet Union into social democratic parties, which were aligned with the United States. And they also did it with magazines. And in fact, sometimes the CIA would set up magazines and newspapers and they were purport to be leftist magazines and newspapers in France and Germany and, 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 and Italy, when in fact they were entirely underwritten by the CIA. And they would hire leftists from the United States to go over to Europe and to, you know, because they, they spoke Italian or they spoke French or they spoke German, and actually using CIA propaganda help to wean people away from radical causes into the mainstream bourgeois bureaucracy where they can be controlled, okay? Well, again, believe me when I tell you this is what exactly what is happening in the United States all the time. The CIA and its domestic sources and agents of influence are not trying to influence Fox News. You do not have to tell Tucker Carlson what to say. Tucker Carlson knows what to say, okay? You didn't have to tell William Buckley what to say or, or Patrick Buchanan or, or anybody who's on the hard right. You don't have to tell these people what you have to say. What, in order to make an, uh, any kind of impact on what's going on in the United States, to de-radicalize the United States, you have to go after the radicals. And you have to find a way of intellectually or financially or through bribery and cajolery to move them away from, from radical positions into more mainstream positions. The best way to do this is to give them lots of money. This is the thing that generally moves radicals away from radical positions. Like let's just say, and I don't know that this is true, but let's just say somebody gave Amy Goodman $500,000 a year. Well, how is she going to relate to God, some person working for $12 an hour at Starbucks? I mean, is she going to really have that person's interests at heart? Or is she now, as a wealthy person, going to have somebody else's interests at heart? You know, the upper middle class, of which she is a part. Well, let's say some billionaire, uh, I don't know who, who's involved in the Internet. Let's say he comes from Iran and his family fled Iran and really hates Muslims and fundamental you know, uh, Islam, and wants to really help the CIA work against those kind of countries. Let's say they hire a guy, a couple of guys from the United States who purports to be leftists, and they give them each half a million dollars 
Oh, I wonder what media organization you're talking about. In the United States anymore. Well, let's say that in order to maintain their readership, you know, these are not big, big news outlets, but in order to maintain their readership, which expects something from them, 90% of what they say has to appeal to their readership, just like the CIA or these organizations that they set up in prison after the war, spouted to lower the social democracy and create a social democratic party and if you really want to get things done and make some money. Well, let's say that 10% of the time when they're not delivering Coke to their, 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 their customers who demand Coke, every once in a while they say, well, you should try Coke light or you should try Coke heavy or, or they change the message just a little bit. Again, like I was saying earlier, these changes happen incrementally. If these people understand that and they want to get in good with the establishment, well, then maybe 10% of the time, like when the coverage comes to Syria or, or, or billionaires, you know, uh, income inequality, that they, 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 they smooth over those issues or they don't address those particular in, you know, issues. Like, like personally, in the real world, I accused... Glenn Greenwald of being a shill for the millionaire Omar Pierre Omidyar because I said that symbolically by accepting money from a billionaire he was uh, um, promoting billionaireism that if you, if you take money from a billionaire you're saying it's okay to be a billionaire and if you, it, that symbolically, that's what he was doing. And that Americans understand things symbolically. That Glenn Greenwald does not have to say, I, uh, I'm a capitalist. I really understand capitalism and I'm promoting capitalism. Merely accepting money from a billionaire is the message that he's, that he's uh, um, conveying to, to all his readers. And so that that again, it's it's like this conning. He's saying, yeah, sure, if I take money from a billionaire, it's okay for you to take money from a billionaire. In fact, it's okay for billionaires to exist. Whereas people like me are saying that you should tax a billionaire like Omar, uh, uh, Pierre Omidyar, 99.999% of his income. So that in two years, He's not even a millionaire anymore, so that he's got to work at Starbucks. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what I believe a radical should be saying, but not Glenn Greenwald, not Jeremy Scahill, and as far as I know, not Amy Goodman, who I think makes a lot of money and very rarely ever says anything about about capitalism or the the evils of of three people in the United States having as much money as 90% of all Americans. And that, that the whole, all of American society is drifting in that direction. And if you're going to be that, you know, to, the, to, to me, that makes them members of the compatible left. People who pretend to be left, but in reality are compatible with, with capitalism and all its horrors and inequalities. So, so like I said, I could go on and on and on and talk about it, but, but that's how the CIA works it, and that's how it works in the United States, how the people that you trust are actually often symbolically 
giving you information that's contrary to all your ideals and values and moving you in a direction that you're unaware of. All right. Well, um, we're going to leave it there, Doug. Thank you so much um, for taking the time to speak uh, with Mint Press News today. Um, your work is, uh, as I said earlier, invaluable and to me just so personally inspiring and just such uh, you, you have done such a public service um, in, in your um, in your work over the years. So thank you for that. Um, could you please tell did our what I say oh. make any sense today? Yeah, yeah. I think you did a great job. <laughs> but first, um, could you tell our listeners where um, they can find and follow your work? Yeah, just go to my website, uh, www.douglasvalentine.com. And I have, uh, actually, three of my books are being republished by new, new publishers. The Strength of the Wolf and The Strength of the Pack are, are going to be coming out under new publishers. And They've kind of been marginalized for a couple of years, so I strongly encourage everybody to to buy those books. <laughs> you know, it'll change your it'll change your uh, assumptions about the CIA and the war on drugs and the society that we live in. Okay, again, uh, that was Doug Valentine. Uh, a big thanks to him for appearing on the show, and catch you next time on the Mint Press News podcast, The Mintcast. Cast.